the way I have. Nobody, not this man right here, your best friend. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter.com or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. I'm Jamie Holland. You can follow this show on X at Pod Blast Nash or on Instagram at Pod Bless Nashville. A whole lot of stuff to get to on the show today. Adam Tambrin will be our guest from Axios. We'll talk a little bit about the first 100 days of Freddie O'Connell's administration, the dynamics of the council, but also we'll get into the State House the first week or so of the legislative session and what he sees coming in terms of some of the potential bills that are on the floor and some of the dynamics within the State House, of course, which we love to discuss here on the show. So we'll do that. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to Central Booking, Jamie, of my own volition, I might add. Uh, have you posted on X uh, a self- image a of your mugshot, <laughs> a Sheriff Hall selfie? Uh, so I got to do sort of a go through the mental health evaluation process when a when somebody who's charged with a crime gets taken into central booking. There's a diversion pro- program that we've talked about a lot on the show that's, that Sheriff Hall has put into place at the detention center. I sort of had a chance to go through that entire process, see what the mental health facility looks like, how it functions. I'll tell you guys about that a little bit later on. And no, I was very happy that they did not want to take my fingerprints or give me a mugshot. Uh, I am good with that not being on the internet, even on accident as a joke. I'm okay with that. Well, we'll have to replicate one on a bus for you soon then. Uh, it, by the way, in our conversation with, with Adam Tambrin, we if you if you really want to stay to the end, uh, we're going to have a story because Adam Tambrin is the reason that our show open sounds the way it does and the person that you are yelling at and how that all came to be. So if you're curious and don't know the origin story of the show open, we'll tell you that uh, a little bit later on as well. We've also got some transit news, not huge news, but some 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 drip, uh, some some eighth and roast drip of of news that's coming out about potential transit referendum in 2024. So we'll get to that. And of course, there is one major issue in the state legislative body that you, Jamie, think that people need to know about. That's maybe one of the big things that we weren't thinking about going into the session, uh, exactly as we were told last week on the episode, you never know what it's going to be. So a lot of stuff to do today on the show. $1.4 billion worth of something (laughs) with a B, billion. (laughs) And that is what we call a tease. However, I'm going to put you to work here, Jay. PBN, Pod Bless Nashville, is brought to you by... Eighth and Roast. That is right. You put the emphasis on eighth there, it sounded like. Eighth and Roast, not like eighth and roast or eighth and roast. It's the eighth that you like the best, is what you're saying. Well, they don't call it seventh and roast. (laughs) Except for it's... They got a location on Charlotte. (laughs) Eighth and Roast on Charlotte, also in the airport, also on West End at Vanderbilt as well. That's a branding opportunity. Uh, Eighth and Roast, of course. Listen, I've got the Jet Setter beans at the house right now. Their beans are ethically sourced. They pay a little bit more for them. You're going to get better beans. And, of course, you can also get their products available across the city at a grocery store near you. The Jet Setter tasting notes, do you want to know, Jay, what they are? Please. Candied pecan blackberry and maple syrup that's the one that that i like the most delicious Uh, they also have a french new wave brown sugar hazelnut and cinnamon tasting notes and then of course the sweet blue which is from brazil their tasting notes peanut butter cocoa and graham cracker just delicious in a a coffee pot in your house which is how my wife likes to drink coffee when you were drinking that out of your coffee pot at home is that were 
these notes you mentioned, were those your own personal notes while drinking the beverage? No, I don't have a palate like that. Okay. This is on the bag. (laughs) (laughs) On the bag. It's on the bag. But I tell you what, man, uh, you take the tiny little bit of extra time to grind the beans, put them in your drip coffee pot like me and my wife do. Absolutely delicious. I had it this morning. This morning I had probably too many cups of eighth and roast coffee. It's unhealthy, the amount of coffee that I drink, probably. But it's delicious, and uh, my wife will only... She doesn't go to coffee shops. She doesn't drink at restaurants coffee. She doesn't... She refuses to ever use the little machines with the one thing, pod thing. She refuses. Only drip coffee for her. Very particular about her coffee. Loves eighth and roast coffee in eighth, her drip Eighth pot. and roast coffee snob at home. She, she, she is, and probably would hate that... She was just referred to that way. <laughs> uh, but please check out our partner, of course, on all their all four locations and all across the county. We will be meeting, again, reminder, first Tuesday of every month, 8.30 a.m.-ish at the Charlotte location. We will get together and we will discuss the issues of our time. IRL. I love it. I can't wait to look at humans in real life in their face and talk to them about stuff that matters in the city. It's genuinely what I, I love it. I'm excited and I'm Super proud and excited that Ethan Roast has given us the opportunity to do that. Breakfast sandwich is very good as well. I know you like the croissant. Croissant. There you go. All right, a couple of quick things I want to mention here first before we get into uh, franchise and excise tax and the implications on the state budget from the state legislative session. Uh, number one, quick note, Madison still needs our help. So volunteering and donating. Uh, if you can, NashvilleResponse.com is the website that the mayor's office is pushing everyone towards. Please, please still see if you can find some time to volunteer and donate. Madison was sort of hit the hardest from like a home standpoint and still because the holidays sort of slowed down the, the cleanup process and the rebuilding process. Please go check that out uh, as well. And of course, Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I just want to give some folks some recommended reading. A story Stephen Hale wrote in the Nashville scene, I think it was a cover story, actually, in 2018. If you do not know the backstory of how I-40 was built, the the, the, the loop that went west from I-65 south coming from Louisville and Clarksville, if you do not know the backstory on how that was built, it is a fascinating look into our city's dynamics and history uh, in the late 60s and, and early 70s. Hale did a great job documenting that, along with a bunch of other stuff in a big piece back in 2018 called History Repeats Itself. Uh, absolutely recommended reading on Martin Luther King Day. So go check it out. If you do not know about the fight for an exit that I actually used for years picking up my children right there on 28th Street, please, please go read it. It is, it is, it is important to understand a little bit of the history. And I, I find it fascinating that building an interstate has so many layers to it in, in, in our city's history. So recommended reading. Just a little recommendation. I would recommend you reading the Tennessee Journal. One I love. Mr. Shelzig has come up with the name of a new neighborhood on the site of the former Tennessean, and it's called Gulch Central. And that is not to be confused with the North Gulch. And for a certain listener out there, it is undisputed that Capital View is but a bit part of the broader neighborhood North Gulch. Okay. So, so Gulch Central? Is what we're going with? <laughs> Gulch Central. Uh, speaking of the Tennessee Journal, do you want to get into the franchise and excise tax issue? Because there's a lot of stuff going on in the state legislative house. Look, I do not, and we'll talk with Adam Tamburn about this stuff. I do not love the idea of giving out these Willy Wonka ticketed you know, slots in the balcony and limiting it to 
basically a third of the capacity. I think that hurts. I think public access is important. And if you want to go down and watch our legislative process, I think you should be allowed to do that. I think that's soft. I think it's cowardly. The rules stuff, the decorum, it is, I don't know, it captures headlines on social media. I'm not sure how much it truly matters in the outcome of things that take place during the session. There's lots of other stories and topics, again, some of which we will cover with Adam. But you think, Jamie, that there's an entirely other story that is not being talked about, is not really being covered, that could have major financial ramifications for the state of Tennessee. Well, right now we're in the attention-seeking portion of the legislative process. But the biggest bill to be going through the Capitol that's going to have major downstream implications is it's not easy to tweet about. It's not easy to make a TikTok on. It's not a Snapchat conversation. Have you ever made a TikTok? <laughs> I'm working on it. Okay. I'm I, working on it. Taking you a long time. I, I want it I want it to be golden. I want it oh. I want it to really hit that algorithm. I, I'm sure it will hit, as Trey Crowder says. <laughs> But we always talk about in politics, politics is the art of the possible. And this franchise tax reform, it's not necessarily on the excise portion of the F&E, but franchise taxes, major reform coming based on some Supreme Court precedent in a 2015 case. But it's a big item. It's $1.4 billion with a B not million. So when you hear that, it's like, oh, what are all these other opportunities? Capital projects, wish list of legislators refusing to accept federal funding, voucher measures, et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's going to be closed out. Why? Well, here we're talking about $1.4 billion in, in what they call, generally speaking, non-recurring money. And that's a one-time fee versus something that's comes every year and i don't think it's the legislature has decided how it's going to go well you have not told people what, what happened here that, that the, the state of tennessee has apparently been overtaxing corporations for years since 1935 okay so there's some back some back cash that might be owed so it's not a it's not a partisan issue and so there was a lawsuit in the state of maryland the comptroller of the treasury there was prosecuting a case against a tax pa- a taxpayer that was found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of the United States in a split 5-4 opinion. And the five were some Republicans and Democrats. Strangely enough, it wasn't a GOP deal, but it was a 2015 opinion that brought in a lawyer's and law school student's favorite subject matter. The dormant commerce clause. Now, if that doesn't get you excited about being a lawyer, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's right in the name. <laughs> Door dormant. Like, right there. there are textbooks written on the dormant commerce clause that I recommend to your reading. <laughs> but it basically means that taxpayers weren't getting full credit for things they had paid in other states so 50 entities have hired lawyers on the basis of this opinion and it's comptroller of the treasury of maryland v win and they've gone around looking at other jurisdictions across the country that have a similar scheme 
And and who popped up? State of Tennessee. The, the state of Tennessee was found in that search along with North Carolina. So the commissioner of the Department of Revenue and the attorney general have opined that, yep, we're going to lose that lawsuit. So how can we settle it? Well, do we owe refunds all the way back to it? LLCs and corporations that are covered by the franchise tax. Do we owe everybody a refund? Well, too bad. The statute of limitations is three years. So it's basically going to cover these existing taxpayers and cover about a four-year period of time, the existing year plus three years back. I know that's lawyer math. It's not your brand of math, but three is really four here. So we're going to have to give back $1.4 billion in refunds to, Estimated, to, to LLCs and corporations. And there's varying descriptions in the news media how that's going to happen. The legislature is going to work that out. Is that one time non-recurring and then some recurring later? Or is it a term of years, like four years, to give the money back? So the franchise tax currently is projected to raise $1.7 billion in our current budget year. And some lawmakers and other officials are are floating the idea that the state is looking at spending $400 million annually over a four-year period to pay off that potential $1.4 billion liability. This is a provision in the 1935 law that if they eliminate, they sort of avoid the litigation part of this. And it's sort of like, all right, if you eliminate this provision in the in the Tennessee state tax law and then pay back the money, we'll leave you alone. And this is all the lawyers representing all these companies that have been overtaxed. Is is that's the gist of it, right? Did I get correct. all that correct? And, and you know, it's not just some act that was passed in nineteen thirty five and it's been the same way all these years. That that provision of the code's been amended many times over the year, but the gist of it being the same as it was in nineteen thirty five and saying no. Clearly, this is clearly in light of that precedent yep. from the Supreme Court, clearly unconstitutional, and everybody agrees. So, some states have been overtaxing companies, Supreme Court rules, unconstitutional. Lawyers for said companies go looking for other states that have breaking the law. Enterprising businessmen and women. Tennessee is on that list. North Carolina was on that list. They recently dropped the measure. So, ultimately, what does this mean for you guys? What it means is. 1.4, give or take a couple hundred million, you know, $1.4 billion will be repaid to corporations because we overtax them. And at, as the result of that will be opportunity costs for other investments that the state could make, i.e. Uh, mental health care. Uh, and then you mentioned a few others like vouchers and a few other things. So either way, it's they're either going to be sued or they're going to pay the $1.4 billion and eliminate it from the, the law. So, so if your bill has a fiscal note on it, well, how many bills do not have a fiscal? You might on? have a problem there, especially on the heels of the fact that also reported in the journal that our budget collections, our budgeted collections are about 202 million off projection. So revenue collections are below estimates and hey, you got a $1.4 billion liability too. So it's going to squeeze out other opportunities other priorities we are at a a projected 718 million dollar shortfall in collections this year this fiscal year so let's just call it about two and a half billion dollars straight off the table so whatever you're oh were you getting the road pay were you getting the library Eh, maybe not enhancement to your park system well i guess ultimately i mean it's just wonderful news um but it's just ultimately 
it's better to avoid litigation and get the money off the books and the debt off the books and the liability off the books more than anything else. So it, it's just bad news and it's hard to it's hard to get likes on on tweets when you start talking about one point four billion dollars getting removed. Oh, by the way, in light of the one point one billion dollar debate about federal funding and you know all the other things we've listed off, those those are all opportunity costs as well. So just uh you're right. It's not being covered enough, so we thought we'd talk about it today. But there's not really like a happy ending here, Jamie. It's, it's like putting a damp cloth yeah. over the entire session. Great. Because it's been such a wonderful start. It started so so happily with all the decorum and the rules and the it's so much fun already. So But you know, I make a motion here that you can't talk derogatorily about another member in your comments. That's subject to the rule. Okay. And so that's gonna be subject to a vote of whether or not we limit your time going forward. Okay. Can we do something like that for the, the, the ratings of the podcast? Can we do something like that in the, the bottom of the, the show where we you're not allowed to leave a review that's one star? <laughs> we just change the rules? Nothing other than five-star ratings. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, keep an eye on that. Um, I imagine that will happen. I don't know. You imagine that will happen pretty quickly? And and will be expedited. It sounds like all parties are sort of aligned in getting it accomplished. But well, they they've persuaded the state's attorney general. They've persuaded the commissioner of revenue. Now they have 132 other people to persuade. Mm. Oh, that's the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep an eye on that. And that is again. There's other issues we've talked about them with Sam Stocker last week on the show. Reproductive rights, doubtful that there's any movement on gun reform. You've got uh, trans rights. You've got child, child poverty. You've got uh, the vouchers is going to be one of the big ones. And as Sam uh, pointed out last week, just remember, you never know what the big thing's going to be. So maybe this was one of them that, that nobody saw coming. <laughs> that all of a sudden we're, we're $1.4 in the hole right off the top. My, minus the $700 million that we are sh- uh, on a budget shortfall. So right there, two, like you said, $2 plus billion right off the top to begin. Great. Well, it's an interesting tack that this policy change is going to be sought because typically in Metro, you can't get any policy change until you sue the bastards. So you, so you use this this very interesting dynamic between the attorney general just, and the legislative body to it, it came up, take right? a shot. It came through my mind. I, I think your New Year's intention I, needs I, to I pop knew, through your mind. I know. My, my intention judge is here to reprimand me. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's fine. I, it's I, an intention. Just, sometimes I slip. When you brought all that up, you said sometimes you can slip. You don't have to have a perfect score. That's true. That's true so but, far. But you're judging me on perfection here. This is our second episode since the intentions, and you fell off the wagon both episodes. <laughs> so, so far, over. Okay, Adam Tamburin coming up a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we'll talk about the state legislative session, and, of course, we'll discuss the Metro Council, Freddie O'Connell, but also... Uh, you'll hear his story about how he captured Jamie Holland's finest moment as an elected official. Before we do that, however, some news out of Freddie O'Connell's conversation with the media on Friday of last week. A couple of different headlines here. One in the Nashville banner uh, of Freddie O'Connell, decision on transit referendum by end of the month. The headline in the scene in the post, of course, mayor's office continues moving towards transit referendum. A couple of t- two pieces of news here that I think are worth noting. And then Jamie, I can get you to translate what this all means. But Freddie O'Connell on Friday said that he expects to know more about whether a November transit referendum is feasible, quote, by the end of the month. So the first piece of news is that we sort of have a timeline now 
on whether or not this referendum could get on the ballot in November, November 8th, November 8th, I believe is the date. And obviously a presidential election, one of the only times that would be most conducive for something like this to pass. That also means the timeline is incredibly condensed and they need to start accomplishing things quickly. One of those is putting people in place to help this process. And they have hired, of course, Vanderbilt's Michael Briggs as director of transportation planning in the lead up to the potential referendum. He's basically a, a policy expert in this a department. bureaucrat got hired. Get excited, Braden. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am in favor of personally some sort of transit referendum and getting our getting some cars off the street and making our city more effective to move about. If that requires us celebrating some mid-level bureaucrats, I am fine with that. But you know what it also is, is is if there's a list of 25 boxes that they have to check to get to a referendum, some of those are legal, some of those are financial, some of those are, you know, you need the council's approval, you need all these other parts of the, you need out, you need business to be on board, you need a campaign, you need all this stuff to that goes into this. Well, you got to have a really good plan on the front end and you need wonks to make those good plans. And so, sure, it's a step. It's a small step, but it's a step. And the steps needs to, they need to start coming quicker. And I think the mayor's office absolutely understands this. If this show was a visual medium, Braden, you'd see me starting the wave over here in my section. Why, why are you Why are you being condescending towards transit? I don't appreciate it. I'm going to start talking <laughs> shit about housing. See how you feel about it. <laughs> no. Whoa, Michael Briggs, let's go. <laughs> uh, ultimately, again, the story here is we have a timeline. We're going to find out uh, in the next month. And they are finally taking some steps that we think are tangible. Again, a million other things need to happen. It needs to be married to the East Bank development, not the least of which is one. Uh, but at least there's steps, Jamie. Don't, don't, don't discount the steps. We don't need to wait to the end of the month, despite the reporting and the notion of the mayor to the contrary, when the Transition Committee on Transit recommended a November referendum. That's it. It's done at that point. Mayor can't wiggle out of that now. That was his team put that together. If he doesn't, then he's got egg on his face. We're going. And and more than just one, like a whole dozen, because this is a guy who got elected as the transit nerd. This is part of his policy. This is part of his entire identity as a council member. And this is, I know it's short turnaround and there's a lot of things that he's got to clear again. the, The legal and sort of financial hurdles are what he mentioned in his Friday conversation with the press about the first steps to actually getting it onto a ballot. You've got to sort of go through all these bureaucratic processes, but this is his thing. This is the thing that he got elected on. You can't not do this well. And you can't not do it this year because next year there's going to be a property tax increase. So there's the end and the transit transition committee gave the beginning. I don't know what we're waiting on. Well, mid-level bureaucrats, Jamie. That's what we're waiting on. The first hundred, excited. The first hundred day announcement was, we got to hire more people. We're putting our team together. Now we've got one. <laughs> Look, crawl, walk, run. You got to crawl before you can walk. And they're doing it right now. They're putting people in place. So we'll find out. I, I'm with you. I think it, I think it has to, it has to, it's going to be on the ballot. The question is how fully baked and how fully formed and how smart is it? And then how well can it be messaged for how long? And it's not going to include light rail. No, we know that. And I think Freddie's acknowledged that multiple times. The mayor's office had sa- has said, we, the, the, I think the phrase, and I'm paraphrasing here, is like, we've got to focus on what's feasible. <laughs> That's sort of the, the phrase. And that is dedicated bus lines, rapid transit bus lines, and sidewalks and bike lanes, first steps, and then 
the next big one can be putting a train somewhere. So how do you make a transit referendum more palatable to the people that might be on the fence? Well, give them something like a sidewalk. And lower the price point. (laughs) There you go. Okay. So baby steps, transit referendum, get involved. Uh, All the council members, of course, uh, emails are linked in the show notes and reach out to everybody else. That well, might want to add one mayor at Nashville.gov. Maybe get you a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Just a t-shirt that says email the mayor <laughs> with the, with the email address on it. Mayor at Nashville.gov. Okay. It's implied. All you right. don't have to use the word email. All right. Uh, so I got a chance to, we'll talk with Adam Tambrin in a second and we'll go through some headlines here in just a moment, but I had a chance to meet up with Sheriff Darren Hall and sort of experience what it is like to be taken to central booking and then what it is like to be diverted away from the criminal justice system and into the mental health facility that he sort of tricked the government into building uh, when they built the new uh, downtown detention center. Uh, I'll take you kind of through piece by piece, Jamie, and you can interrupt if you have any questions about this, but got got into a truck. We drive into central booking through these big, massive, giant doors. You go in. And you are met there. You go through through a couple of doors. You get into general booking. Now, one of the things I noticed that that is interesting about our general booking is that it is open. It, there is it is not there's it's not all rooms. There are some rooms in there that are for people who clearly cannot behave for whatever reason. And then, the, but if you follow rules and you behave, you are not shackled. You are not put. You know, you're not put into a cell. You're just there's chairs. It looks like a waiting room anywhere else which is also a more humane way to treat folks who are in there for misdemeanors. So first thing you do when you get in there, very first thing you do is you speak with a mental health professional. There's two bays. You sit down and you talk to a mental health professional. At the same time, you talk to medical professionals. So the very first thing you do, no matter who you are, no matter what crime you commit, you get brought in and you sit down and you talk to trained mental health and medical professionals. Sheriff Hall says that that is unlike any other detention center in the country. That no, that, that no one else does that. It's the first thing you do. You sit down there right to the left. You sit down, you have a conversation with a professional who's trained in this stuff. And so what happens is, is as you're going through this process, that's the very first step. First person you meet with, they deem you eligible at that moment to go into a totally different part of the facility. You then leave and go out a different door and you go into a different booking room, totally different energy in that room. Everyone is dressed in scrubs. They're, it does not look like you are any longer in a, det- in a detention center. Does that make sense? Yes. So everything is designed subconsciously to then soften the impact of the situation for someone that's dealing with something, some crisis. You get dressed in something that doesn't look like orange jumpsuit, that doesn't look like any of the stuff that you would do in a normal booking process. Everything is different. You go through down a hallway, down a ramp, you go around a corner, and you go into what is a social room for lack of a better term you go into this room and the tabletops have board games on them there is natural lighting meaning like the roof has like sunlights in the top to to create a a sense of calm and peace which is definitely not a thing you have in jail there's an open-air courtyard that is attached to this centralized room there's about eight or ten multi-bed rooms that would look like cells but they're not locked. They have no locking mechanisms and the doors are open at all times. So there's a very communal feel and there's two separate, there's a male room and a female room. And you go into this room that feels more like a hospital than it does a jail across the board. And it's really impressive. 
to walk in there and to feel yourself going from what is a tense situation and what is a situation where I was like genuinely looking around going like, okay, there's a guy behind that cell. <laughs> he's, he's in that cell for a reason because he's not be able to behave and allowed to be in general booking to going down this ramp and into this mental health facility where I am all of a sudden five feet away from six or seven, I don't want to call it, say inmates, but patients and you're free to walk around. There's, there's all, all the doors are unlocked. There's natural light. It's, it's so much different. It's really, really impressive what they've built. It's really impressive. And there's some more stuff I can get to, but I wanted to take a breath here. <laughs> well, what happens after they leave? So you, you have to agree to go into this part of the facility and there are parameters with which you have to meet. You have to meet, you have to fulfill your end of the bargain here. We as Nashville and the Sheriff's Department and Corrections will treat you, I would say appropriately, as a mental health patient if you agree to go through this process with us, right? Is I'm sort of speaking as a member of the Sheriff's Office now at this point. Got to raise the high sheriff. <laughs> Deputized while you're on that booking tour. <laughs> awesome. And, Congratulations. And they, again, even folks that are in the corrections security department are still dressed in scrubs. Like you can't tell the difference between a doctor and a, and sort of a, a, a security guard for lack of a better term. And you go in there and if you fulfill your end of the bargain, which is I think a 30 day, depending on they, what happens is they devise a plan for you, whatever plan is appropriate for your specific incident or your specific situation. They design the plan for you based on mental health expertise. If you fulfill your end of that bargain, you then go back and they take away the charge. They take away the fingerprinting. They take away all that stuff because that's legally a part of the process. They can't, they can't take you into a facility without booking you and charging you with the crime. And so you go, if you fulfill your end of the bargain, you go back through and all that's removed. A lot of that is because the district attorney's office has agreed to help Sheriff Hall with this process, as we've discussed on the show. What is interesting is that they have a meeting every morning, first thing in the morning, it is a representative of the district, attorney, district attorney's office. It is a probation officer. It is multiple mental health experts. And it's a member of the a representative from the sheriff's office that sit in a meeting and discuss who came in the night before and, and, and organize the plan and the process for which this person will be cared for. In general, arrests are way down about 100 per day before the pandemic. We're at about 50 or 60 per day now. About five to eight of those per day are mental health that qualify for this treatment. So again, we're taking five to eight people per day and funneling them into a system that is helping them rehabilitate themselves so that they can then go back out onto the street. And again, recidivism rates for those that you that don't know, if you are mentally ill and you end up in jail, your recidivism rate is 90%. You will be back. If you are mentally ill and dealing with a mental health crisis and you go into this mental health detention center, this mental health facility that we're talking about, you have a recidivism rate of 20%. So you can do the math on how on savings of money, fixing lives, helping people in the community. It is truly extraordinary. Columbus, Ohio just built one identical to the one we've got. Charlotte, North Carolina just built one identical to the one we've got. And every Jacksonville was recently in to visit our center to build theirs in Jacksonville. They're all doing what we are doing in Davidson County. What we need, Jamie Holland is the moment that people leave and you have to leave with someone you cannot be just you can't just walk out which is what happens in jail right when you get out of jail you just here's a bag of shit get out of here you have to leave with somebody when you leave 
And from that moment on is where we need the Tennessee Legislative Assembly to come to the table. They said in August they were going to try to do something about this when we got back into regular session. This is why we're not going to do it. This is why we tabled the bills. We're going to do it in regular session. Now you're in regular session. And when those folks get out of that detention center, that is the moment that they then need help. I know that's a lot of stuff, a lot of information. It was an eye-opening experience. I know we've talked a lot about mental health, so I wanted to experience it. And it is remarkable what they've done. And I think we need to continue to support it through the General Assembly's funding of, of stuff. Of, I'm going to say of stuff here, for lack of a better, more uh, sophisticated term. So. so it sounds like leading the nation and others are following. We've created a model. I guess that was due to the forethought and great thinking of a policymaker here in town that we put that all together, right? Sheriff had to fucking lie about it. No, he and, and then got support from the district attorney's office. And not every district attorney would maybe be as um, supportive of this particular initiative as Glenn Funk is at this moment. So, two, two forward thinkers then. So uh, right now, it's working extremely well. Again, 20% will be back, but it's way better than 90%. Well, to bridge so, the gap, we need the Senate to do something because the House agreed. House tried to do something and the Senate ended said special session on said topic. Yeah. Uh, this would be one of those topics where you can reach out and say, look, you promised us you would do this. Why don't you guys go ahead and put something on paper and act? Uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. Lowering the thresholds of particular parts of the evaluation process, funding all kinds of groups around the city. That's the other thing. There's a lot of groups in the city that are working with the sheriff's office to help the facility function at an even higher and more efficient rate. Lots of nonprofits around the city. So there's ways to, to get involved, not the least of which is asking our legislative body to just do what they said they were going to do, which is address mental health in some capacity. Well, that's the age-old question for anybody, not just the legislature. Do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, that's true. That's it. That's not an intention. That's a resolution. Therefore, be it resolved, Braden. <laughs> Sounds like some legal mumbo-jumbo over there. Shit they put on bills. I didn't. I don't write it. All right, before we hear from Adam Tamburin of Axios, of course, PBN, Jamie Holland is brought to you by... Eighth and Roast. And we've got a new segment we're debuting today on the show, courtesy of Eighth and Roast. we got main topics on the show, but there's so much going on in the state of Tennessee that we want to give you some other headlines. So this will be headline drip on Pod Blast Nashville every single week. Of course, we'll try to give you some stuff that Jamie and I find interesting that... You know, we think we need to call some attention to perhaps if you are having a nice latte or an espresso in the afternoon, maybe some tea. They do have tea if you're not a caffeine drinker for coffee uh, and you're sitting down at a nice eighth and roast location and you want to catch up on some headlines. We've got some for you here in our headline drip each week. So where do you want to start us off with, my man? Well, the Nashville Banner is reporting that Mayor O'Connell is appointing five members to the Metro Arts Commission. There's some brouhaha going on at the Arts Commission, and people are surprised that anyone's even talking about them, but there's some controversy going there. Got five people. There's seven vacancy on a 15-member commission. Apparently, nobody's using Google to vet said nominees because one of them is resigned in dishonor for creating a toxic work environment while working as a Director or Commissioner of Human Relations Commission. I don't know. Maybe Google some shit, Braden. <laughs> and another one, 
by the name of Tim Jester. I have it on good authority that he's running for House District 60 Ooh. to replace Representative Darren Jernigan. Dropping a little scoop in the middle there. I like it. All right, my uh, top headline this week, the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth, this is in Axios, released its annual overview of children's well-being this week. The report noted that one in five Tennessee children under the age of five lives in poverty, while the poverty rate for eight children ages five to 17 is the lowest on record, but still at 17% of kids five to 17. Uh, one in five Tennessee children under five in poverty is unacceptable uh, in my mind. Of course, the other big piece of news out of that from the headline is one in four deaths among Tennessee residents under the age of 17 in 2021 was due to a firearm, the number one leading cause of death in human beings, a.k.a. children between the ages of 1 and 17, firearms. 1 in 6 was due to a car crash. So you want to go read the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth, understand infant mortality rates, all kinds of other data about how children are just the life they live in this state, please go check it out. I think that, Not easy reading, but go check it out. I think that policy might be otherwise known as fuck them kids. Um, there's a lot of people still at the state house trying to do something about it. I don't know how much traction they're going to get, but God bless you all. All right, what you got? Sumner County, the county to their north, is going to ask the state for the authority to charge impact fees. What is an impact fee? The best way to understand that is, well, it artificially inflates the cost of housing or it's a pay-as-you-go infrastructure revenue system for the local government. And Sumner County wants to get in the game. Me, I think it's bullshit. But I think there's also other conversation that there might be some talk in the legislative session about capping local government's authorities to increase property tax rates. Oh, yeah, that's right. My turn? Your turn. Hemp rules in the Tennessee Journal. Farmers and retailers are alarmed by proposed state agricultural department rule changes that they say could severely affect the market for hemp products in Tennessee. This is this is our, our plant. God's you, you, plant, me, not and our God's plant. plant. No, God plant. put it here for us. Correct. If, if you're a religious person, you believe that that plant was put here by God for us. The rules are being promulgated. I get that right? Yep. In Good the, job. In the wake of a 2023 law aimed at regulating products containing THC compounds Delta 8 and Delta 10. I think nine is a good one, which are widely available around the state. The Tennessee Growers Coalition says that the proposed rules could make current products illegal. The public comment period is underway, and the Government Operations Committee is expected to review the rules next month. The coalition hasn't ruled out pursuing legislation or litigation if the rules are adopted as introduced. That, of course, from Eric Shelzik. Why are we going this direction on God's plant or any derivatives of God's plant? There was a flaw in the bill that enabled God's plant to be consumed this way legally in the state of Tennessee, and that was by virtue of the fact that the authors or advocates allowed rules to be promulgated by the Tennessee Department of Agriculture. Note to self, don't do that. <laughs> uh, we, how do we, we just, that's another, talk about, we were, we were joking about transit referendum and that's like my thing here. I, we got to get, we got to get 
weed on the ballot, man. <laughs> God's plant on the ballot somehow. If abortion rights can be on the ballot and statewide in Florida, we got to get some signatures for some God's plant here in Tennessee. It should not be that hard. You don't want me to tell everybody how a constitutional amendment gets put on the ballot, do you? We'll do a whole episode about it. Okay. In the future. Uh, all right. Last one for you. What you got? The Eurasia Group, which is Ian Bremmer's group, top risk for 2024. Us, the United States versus itself. Mm. And I think he's talking about the election for president in 2024. Meaning that if uh, Trump wins the White House and destroys our entire federal government in the process, me, again, I'm not saying that he's saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what he's going to do. He has said that's what he's going to do. Fire everybody and replace them with all all loyalists, which is you know fairly authoritarian behavior. Is that what you're talking about? Is just Trump having complete control of all the levers of government? I think he's been reading a book called Mein Kampf. <laughs> I mean, and the, yeah, he's parroting Hitler's terminology. I mean, it's not even subtle. He's not even trying but, to. You know, P.S., the Germans learned from the Americans and how we treated African-Americans to determine how they were going to punish Jews. That was They didn't write the book. They borrowed from us. Are, are you suggesting that some folks perhaps in this region of the country had a lot of refined techniques on how to hurt other humans. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll end on a positive note then. Uh, headline from uh, the Tennessee Lookout. Tennessee senators report highlights risk of rejecting federal education funding. Senate members of a joint legislative panel that looked into whether or not Tennessee should reject more than a billion dollars in federal education funding released their own report on Tuesday, citing disagreements with the House. The 12-page report said Tennessee could not make investments towards other needs if it opts out of federal education funding and tries to fill the gap with state revenue. It also, of course, we've talked about this many times, Jamie. It doesn't change the fact that you still have to adhere to all the federal things that are in place, the federal strings that the House Republicans have not yet ever really explained what they are talking about when it comes to strings. But you and I have said this all along. This was probably not going to happen. And now we sort of have a Senate report saying, uh, this is probably not going to be too good for Tennessee. The House report is yet to be determined, but uh, I think you and I have said all along, just be wary of this as a, as a thing that's going to happen. Don't, don't stress about it too much, especially now that we know that there's $2 billion coming off the top of the budget. If that Senate report was authored by a president of an elite university in the northeastern portion of the United States... Would it pass the plagiarism test? Is that what you're saying? That some That's, of I'm, it, I'm saying I'm it's my, I'm asking. You're asking if the if if perhaps some things should have been cited in the report, some citations perhaps. Uh, I, I I think as long as the end result is this is one of those where like I'm not sure I care about the labor pains. Just just take the federal funding. <laughs> is that the, is that the old saying? Don't tell don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the federal funding. That's how that's how it goes, I think. Well, plagiarism in while you're in school frowned upon. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Plagiarism as a professional, widely encouraged. <laughs> a- AI is gonna solve a lot of plagiarism problems in this country. It, it it may create a lot of other problems, but it'll solve some plagiarism problems. If that is a thing that you care about in your life. I am not sure that I care about what the leaders of the most elite institutions of this country are doing. 
because it doesn't affect my life. All right. Are we good for our, our headline drip of the week? How do you think that went? <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a B minus from Harvard on that one. But we'll be better next week. Brought to you by Eighth and Roast. That's right. Go swing by Eighth and Roast. First Tuesday of every single month will be there, 830 Charlotte Avenue location. Come on by and talk about all these headlines with us. And pick up a bag of beans at a grocery store near you. And don't plagiarize shit while you're there. Not a not a tall ask, I don't think. Uh, so here was our conver- here was our conversation with Axios reporter Adam Tambrin. Adam Tambrin from Axios joining us here on the show, sir. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and giving us a few minutes of your time. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. So I want to start. We're going to get into some state stuff, but I want to start with just the general state of the mayor the mayor's office. Freddie O'Connell. We've reached a hundred days. What is your general assessment of the work that has taken place in the first 100 days of, of uh, the O'Connell administration? Well, I think a lot of, of the work has been focused on getting ready for 2024. I think we're going to be seeing a really eventful year. All signs are pointing toward a transit referendum uh, in November. Uh, that was uh, one of the recommendations of his um, transition team. So I think that's going to be a big chunk of the work that goes on this year. And then, of course, the development of the East Bank is is this massive project that's, that's hanging over the whole, the whole city. So, I mean, I think those two things are going to keep us really busy. Um, and so I, I kind of conceptualized the first 100 days as being a, a kind of a run up to that, to, to this marathon that's, that is 2024. Do, do you think that the mayor's office has adequately reached a point? to begin the process of the transit referendum in 2024? Do you you think that the the things that have needed to be done to be put in place to get to this point, be it planning or partnerships outside the state, inside the state, whatever it might be, do you you think that they have done what they needed to do to sort of be on that path and be on that track or on that track or in that lane, for lack of a better phrase? Well, I think there are two questions that come to mind for me when we when you ask that it is obviously going to be up to the voters of Davidson County. I think that is a question that remains to be seen. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But as far as mending relationships with the state as he goes on this journey, it seems to me, based on my reporting, that um, things are improving there. I mean, I, I talked to Cameron Sexton, the House Speaker, earlier this week, and he said, you know, I've, I've met Freddie O'Connell. We might not agree on much, uh, but I like him. And I think we're all his quote to me was, we're ready to put the past behind us. So I think as far as having that animus from the state and coming in and potentially complicating things, that seems to be tempered, at least for now, from what I'm hearing. Well, the head of state legislative relations, if you will, is Representative Darren Jernigan. He's kind of got a conflict baked in. He's going to be serving this session as the representative of his house district, but at the same time, he's going to be leading the lobbying state relations at the state. How's that going to work? Well, he says he's not going to, I guess that's, that's another big question we have to watch um, because he, he has told Nate, uh, my reporting colleague at Axios, that he, he's going to be really judicious about what he votes on. He's not going to vote on anything that he's lobbying on. I don't really know how that works when you're representing the city, but I think that that's something we're going to find out. But I do know that I think Jernigan has connections at the state house that, that will work in favor of the O'Connell administration 
perhaps, as he tries to mend fences there. I don't, I mean, the conflict of being a lawmaker while you're also a lobbyist for the city is, I mean, that we're, uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out too. Yeah, because I think if one of his Democratic caucus colleagues was for one bill that the mayor's office was against, now his vote, what's he going to do? Back his colleague or back his boss? That's an interesting question. I point it right back. As a, as a journalist, I point it right back at you. What do you think? <laughs> TBD, I guess, is the answer. <laughs> and, and we may not know when those opportunities come up. Let's go back to that relationship. You said you talked to, to Speaker Sexton, of course. You know, the lawsuits between Metro Legal and the state have, they're not all finished, but, you know, the, for lack of a better phrase, legally, the, the city won those for now. They're going to come back in various forms. Do, do you buy what Cam Sexton is telling you? Do you buy that the relationship is is back to being, I mean, Bill Lee has has said out loud he would prefer that this relationship be more productive. Um, do, do you believe it? Are you buying all parties in the, in the kumbaya before we get to the the kumbaya that may or may not be taking place in the state house? Well, the tone of the kumbaya might be a little bit uh, gilded. Uh, I think I think the reality is, I mean, they took a lot of bites at the apple last year. Um, they did a lot. I mean, and I think the the jury's still out on whether or not they'll be successful in in cutting the council in half. But I I think you know they 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 took a lot of um, tries, and there's not. You know, I just think as, as they've done a, t- a ton of things, and so there's not as much left on the menu for them to even come back to, realistically speaking. But also, I think you know, it is it, they have scored losses uh, in these four lawsuits, and so I, I don't know that there's an appetite to go back to that well uh, and try to to dream up new ways to kind of come in Nashville. I just think it's everybody is kind of eager to move on. And I don't know that that's necessarily like we're all best friends now, but I think it, it's more of a turning of the page to, to move on to other priorities. The only thing I know as far as any score scorecard or rating of what happened in the first hundred days is that the administration got beat on tasers. I know that. I mean, that, that is an interesting uh, development that uh, I think took a lot of the Twitter sphere that I was watching a little bit by surprise that, that, um, that uh, the council stood up on that one. And I think it could be, I mean, potentially a preview of things to come. Uh, tensions between the, the the administration and the council. Yeah, kumbaya moment is over. Well, I, I said kumbaya between the state and the city. I didn't say anything between the city and the city. <laughs> Fair. How, how would you describe the dynamic of this particular council, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think that Taser vote is... Uh, is a window into it. I mean, I think that that's something that might have kind of gotten a rubber stamp in, in previous in councils. It's not, you know, it's, it's refreshing an existing contract. It's something that, that you might not expect to be particularly controversial. I mean, tasers are one of the police department's tools, they say, to cut down on shootings and more uh, intense violence. And so you might expect that something like that would, would, you know, get approval. But I think the pushback, the pushback around this idea of of approving something coming from the police department is an interesting uh, window, I think, into some potential tension points that we can see. Well, I think the broader point might be in years past, administrations bring a bill to council says, this has got to be approved right now. If we don't get it approved right now, then some order of bad shit's going to happen. 
And I think that's kind of the, the read out there. It's like, Hey, if you come in with us and saying, we got to have it today, you know, because you might have FOMO on the contract price and it's going to be a new price in January. That the council just said, no, we're done with that. Y'all got to get y'all shit together before it gets here. And that was a lot of the tone, right. Of the, of the stadium debate is like, we've got to move, move, move. We've got to act now. Yeah. I think that argument has certainly worn thin and, It'll be interesting to see the council maybe test those boundaries to me. Do you think that the vice mayor uh, has delivered on most of her campaign promises so far? Well, I mean, I think that that remains to be seen. Certainly the council meetings have been a little bit shorter. Well, there was a story in Axios Nashville about the vice mayor bringing back council connect feature. What is the council connect feature and have you looked into it? I noticed it was recently updated four hours ago and it says this is a test comment for training purposes do you agree thumbs up or thumbs down (laughs) and there is one thumbs up and that was posted four hours ago well i mean i think from what i uh, have heard from the vice mayor on on that it's it, it the idea for that is it for it to be a chat room that that really gets around this uh, onerous open meetings law that, that really forbids two council members from discussing policy matters together on their own. I mean, that would technically count as a as a public meeting, so they're not a, technically allowed to to talk. Uh, whether or not they follow that rule, uh, I think um, you know it, uh, that's up up to you to decide. But I think being able to watch them, if they were to engage with this platform the way it's intended, being able to watch them debate um, and discuss policy um, on a web platform would be really fascinating. I I don't know how how much they would engage with that. I mean, I think that remains to be seen. But I I also know uh, that the vice mayor has told us that there are still some bugs being worked out. So I don't know when that's going to be coming online. I think she hopes to to bring it online soon. That could be part of her her push for more transparency. I guess uh, it's still it's, it's still in testing, and we're not quite sure when it's going to launch. So stay tuned. To your point of it being fascinating, it's going to be under the ceiling. And what I mean by the ceiling is Steve Glover on Facebook Live dropping a deuce. So it's not going to be that fascinating. It's going well, to be some order of magnitude below that ceiling. I mean, there's full transparency. There's twenty four seven transparency, and then there's a there's a, a chat room. I think there's you know those are different levels. I'll give you that. Well, what's funny is like I I I think it's a in theory it feels like a fascinating idea to create some level of tracking and transparency. But it also feels like I, I, I've been in the media for too long. You guys have been around this stuff too long. It's all going to be curated commentary, right? Like it's all going to be, it's going to have to run through all types of filters before it gets to, oh, I think I can post this in the chat room about a potential debate, right? Right. I mean, is this going to be like sitting around at coffee um, and overhearing a conversation or at, at the bar? No. I mean, I think it, it, it will probably, my guess would be that it would probably be a more polished version of like what we see already on Twitter of the interactions on, on policy debates, you know, as, as certain council members tweet and and retweet. But I I do think, I mean, you know, hope springs eternal. I think it could be 
an interesting insight, but I think it, that depends on the uptake. That depends on the council members buying in and actually deciding to use it. It's a lot of gym, it's a lot of gymnastics to avoid the prohibition on two or more council members meeting under the state sunshine laws. But what that law actually says is that those two or more council members can't deliberate on something. And so as long as you're not deliberating an existing bill that's currently pending in the council, it's not a violation of the act. And even if it was, let's say there are, is a bill and they are deliberating intentionally to talk about the substance of the bill, it's curable. And what I mean by curable is that whoever was engaged in the activity could stand up on the floor of the council and say, hey, I met with council member Adam Tamron, and we talked about the merits and demerits of this bill, and here's what we said, and here's what we resolved. And then it's cured. It's over. Well, first of all, thank you for the promotion. Uh, and and second of all, I just love it demotion. when you put on your lawyer hat. That's a demotion. <laughs> I guess that you would know, right? <laughs> well, let's let's hope that the ceiling, uh, which is the bathroom, and the floor, which is Twitter, somewhere we exist in in the middle. Is I think I, I the idea uh, there behind that. Uh, let's let's we're recording this on on Friday around midday. In terms of the timestamp there on on the connect situation, so that everybody kind of knows. And it means we're one week into the legislative session. Of course, there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk of decorum and rules. And while I personally don't love the idea of limiting public access to the chamber, uh, I, I, the rules seem like a lot of distracting. What, what has been the story for you in the first week and where do you think the story goes as we enter in the next couple of weeks? Well, I mean, I, I, I think I need to issue a retraction. Um, this, this concept of kumbaya as it exists between metro and the state certainly does not exist within the state within the chambers i think what we're seeing is that those tensions that we saw really bubble over uh in april after the covenant shooting uh and then in august um during special session are um alive and well i mean you know we have already seen um uh representative justin jones push up against the rules around um, debate on the House floor by calling uh, Speaker Sexton drunk with power. Uh, they then stripped him of the ability to speak for a temporary period of time. So I think there's this, there's still this, this acrimony between certainly the House Republicans and the Democrats that will be the undercurrent, I think, of a lot of different issues um, that we see debated this, this session from guns to abortion and on and on. What does Justin Jones and 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 sort of that tactic and that strategy? What is he trying to accomplish? I mean, I know good good trouble and good noise is keeping spotlights on issues and conversations. Like I understand sort of the PR strategy and sort of the social media strategy, but what what exactly does that approach accomplish long term for his constituents or anyone else in the state of Tennessee? Well, I think it speaks to his background as an activist and. Um... He often uses John Lewis's term "good trouble" when he when he um, talks about his strategy uh, in the state house. I think he would say, "I mean, I would be fascinated when you like get book him. Let me know. I'll tune into that episode. I'll be the first listener." But uh, <laughs> well, I would listen. But I I think he would say, you know, he he's he's calling out corruption. I think when he's he was speaking um, about Speaker Sexton, that was in light of this this ticketing policy that you referenced. To, to kind of 
place some limits on who can be, how many members of the public can be in the balcony and how many hoops they have to jump through to get there. And I think, you know, I think his goal is to call it out. What happens after that or beyond that, you know, I think we see is 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 um, a lot of internal infighting and um, nothing much so far on the policy front. I mean, I would say his purpose is or what's devolved not only externally with the GOP, but internally within his own caucus for the first time he recognized that leadership exists, but I'm pretty sure he's on a path to creating a separate caucus, a progressive caucus to use his term Democratic. within the democratic party, you know, which falls on the heels of Sam Stockard's reporting. Sorry about all the money being raised might be used to be primary incumbent Democrats. Well, that would be fascinating. I mean, I think there's this feeling among a certain portion of the electorate that, um, that um, Democrats aren't doing enough to push back. Um, we've seen a lot about the Republican supermajority pushing these bills that, that target Nashville specifically, that um, go against what a lot of the voters of Nashville w- would support. Uh, and so I think we see in Representative Jones that that frustration kind of on the House floor. And I mean, the reality is the numbers of the Democrats, I don't know that with any strategy, I don't know they could do much with their numbers. But I think the thought process of, of Rep- Representative Jones and, and his allies are, you know, why not um, fight? Why not um, stand up and, and be heard? What issues do you think there could be movement on? You know, we we'll get to vouchers in a second, but some of the causes that they are fighting for, be it small advances in women's reproductive rights, um, whether it's transgender legislation, you know, you guys, Axios had a major report about uh, children in the state of Tennessee, of course, uh, in your newsletter, there, at least commenting on it. What are the what are the victories that they even if they have to give the bill to the Republicans and we know that's happened in the past where here you can just have this really good idea and you can take it but but it's a way for us to get something accomplished where do you see some movement uh, from their side of this equation when you say they you mean the the Democratic caucus and that small group that has very little power to accomplish much of anything other than make a lot of noise well I mean I think the reality of that given that dynamic is we're going to see that progress if there is any from their perspective. Uh, on the around the edges, I think you know we've seen um, multiple Democrats pushing bills that would uh, essentially overturn Tennessee's ban on abortion. Of course, those they know and we all know are symbolic. Uh, I think more likely to what we'll see is these kind of other smaller Republican efforts around the edges to maybe expand medical exemptions uh, or medical allowances for. Uh, abortions in, in certain cases, but around the edges. I mean, I think the the truth on that issue is that Cameron Sexton himself supports or says he he would be open to supporting and exceptions for rape or incest. And his support is not enough to get that even anywhere close to the finish line. Um, so I think when it comes to abortion, we're really talking about um, movement on the edges, around the edges of that issue. But uh, I, th- I think that's kind of indicative of, of the Democrats' reality across the board. Do you think the Tennessee Democratic Party has the good sense to focus on the absence of those reasonable exceptions to the ban on abortion? Do you think they can get their shit together and do something about it electorally? 
I mean, I think with the maps that we have, it, that seems like an uphill battle. That also seems like a question where you have something to say after it. I want to I'm interested to hear what you have to say. But... <laughs> you can clearly <laughs> tell he's not listening to our show, Braden, because we've covered that subject matter before. Yeah. He's a few, few three, I'm four, a... five, six episodes behind. We're up to like thirty-six episodes, Adam. Thanks. Look, I'm a binge watcher. I like to let a season build up and then really burn <laughs> through it all at once. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited your... to see who wins the mayor's race, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your predictions on uh, school voucher? I think we what we've seen is that. Um, you know, we have Bill Lee on one side of the spectrum saying, I want everybody to be able to have access to these vouchers, kind of regardless of their circumstance, uh, regardless of their reasoning. I think he, he would like to see every Tennessee student have access to this money to go to private school if they wish. Uh, and then on the other side, you have these school boards and, and many of them in largely conservative areas saying, no, pushing back and saying, you know, this is going to take money out of our pockets. Uh, and in a lot of those smaller rural areas, the school board is a major, major employer. And so I think they have a lot of sway. I think the most likely scenario, and, and Governor Lee has actually acknowledged this, is that we're going to see um, him change his proposal to have more, like, more limitations in place. So I think for instance, like I wouldn't be surprised to see them add um, an income requirement for um, all vouchers, so that it it steps back from universal eligibility and is it's only available to people of certain incomes. I wouldn't. I mean, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see changes made. I guess is is the the short way of saying that. But about- I do think there's enough support. Uh, among Republican leadership to suggest that this thing has legs, and and I think there's a, a high likelihood of it being successful in what form, I guess, is the question on the criminal justice beat. What's the expectation there? Well, I mean, I think it's been pretty consistent for the last few years. I think, um, especially speaker Sexton is really his passion topic is, is, um, is criminal justice and going in there and retooling the sentences to make them more restrictive, and strict, I would not be surprised to see that continue happening. I know one of the issues that was brought up during the special session, I believe, was introducing um, mixed sentencing for juvenile offenders, which means if I'm 16, I am found guilty of an offense, then I could be perhaps sentenced to a term in juvenile, a juvenile term, and then also an additional adult term once I turn 18. And so I think that's one of the the issues that we're going to see them bring up and, and talk about. But uh, I expect that trend of kind of tilting back from the reforms and 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 looking at a more punitive system to continue. So is it a pivot from Governor Lee's restorative justice bent to making the penalties for crime harsher? Well, yeah, I'll say so. I think and the pivot was a couple of years ago. I mean, I think. It's it's been really interesting to to see Governor Lee his I mean his his big number one topic when he was uh, campaigning was criminal justice reform and and that, that's something he we could tell connected with I mean he's he was new to politics when he was first elected but his experience that he kept talking about was working with men of valor and working with men who had been incarcerated and and seeing 
that transformation take place. And so that was something we know he's really passionate about, but it seems like the the will of the legislature is, is going in the opposite direction. I think it has a lot to do with what's transpired in Shelby County on the criminal front. And there's also an organization out there called the Shelby County Crime Commission. That's a place where former elected officials go to advocate and be on the board to advocate for these criminal law changes. Well, and they certainly have a uh, receptive audience. I know, um, I think it was last year I talked to Speaker Sexton uh, about this issue and about um, the fact, you know, if we're, if we're ratcheting up um, sentence lengths and things, the, the concern from some is that we're going to have to build new prisons. And that's, this is really going to increase the budget of the Department of Corrections kind of exponentially. And his response to me was, if we have to build more prisons, that's what we'll do. So I, I don't think that, I mean, I think there there is a broad coalition within the Republican caucus uh, up on the Hill that is is in favor of this and is really uh, passionate about it. So I think we're going to continue to see that. Anything, be the dominant issue. Anything on the mental health front to uh, relative to criminal justice? Well, I mean, I think we'll see. Uh, it's it's all about expanding access to uh, mental health. I think is 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 those issue is. Um, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I think that it's going to be a lot of focus on um, expanding access, but I think um, the thing about that is a lot of those policies are going to, again, kind of be around the edges, whether we're going to see some big, dramatic, singular kind of signature um, bill on that issue. I think it's going to be more, like I said, around the edges, um, looking at how we can expand mental health care, um, because I think that's a challenge in Tennessee and, and really around the country. I don't, I don't see any big pieces coming coming out well uh adam i know there's a lot of stuff over at axios there's uh, a bunch of stuff going on so make sure everybody signs up for the newsletter we do appreciate it uh, a lot of different things to track uh in the state i can ask you about revenues and budgets and taxes and all kinds of stuff too if we want to but you've been very gracious with your time so we do appreciate it uh thank you for hanging out with us we do we do uh, appreciate your time thank you sir thank you very much That was Adam Tambrin of Axios. Of course, please go sign up for the newsletter. It's an excellent source, quick, digestible reading, good information around the city. So make sure you go check those guys out. We do appreciate his time. And if you stick around, you diehards, you five stars out there, and you want to hear the origin story of the show Open, which is Jamie yelling in a parking garage, uh, Adam and Jamie will explain that story here coming up in just a second. We'll end you with that today. But uh, what do you make of... The conversation about the about the uh, legislative session, we're going to be a police state and there's not going to be any reform on anything positive for women's reproductive rights or guns or school vouchers or anything. What would you make of that conversation? Maybe people campaign on shit and get in the office and realize that none of those things I just championed in my campaign has anything remote possible to become law. Well, it is, I will say, like, I, I understand that when crime is up, things need to be done. You can't, it cannot stay the way it is. You have to f solve the problem in some way. Putting children in adult jail and the mixed sentencing thing, that, that feels kind of shitty to, to me. <laughs> What's going on in Shelby County is unique. Not much going on here, but a lot of juveniles are being put into criming. That's what the term we use at home, put into criming for adult gang members, drug runners, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of frustration brewing in Shelby County.
because their homicide rate is triple what's and, in Nashville. And, and I'm not suggesting it's it's an easy problem to solve, right? I'm not I'm not suggesting that it is. It just feels like if you're a 14 year old and you do something that, you know, you're already kind of kind of in this. Uh, let's let's call it. I mean, you're not you're not a fully formed, mature frontal lobe adult yet, and you do something real stupid, and then you get to, you, you go to juvenile. Like the whole reason we have a juvenile system is that children need to be treated differently. And I, it, it doesn't sit well that we're going to make this more of a police state, but I also totally understand the motivations to making Memphis or Shelby County a safer place. So we've got to figure out a way to balance all that. Yeah, um, they're being used so. as pawns, sacrifice for the king or queen. Yes, exactly. As And uh, th- this is an audio medium, and Jamie doesn't realize that everyone listening cannot see him motioning to the chessboard that is sitting in front of him. But we do appreciate Adam for joining us. Again, that was for you, Brady. Minor, minor around the edges. Maybe some mental health progress, maybe some reproductive right progress. Sounds like school vouchers. I think everyone's on board with this, Jamie. That is, it's, it's going to change. It's going to be tweaked, and then we'll pass. Is what it feels like. If we're reading the tea leaves, and I mean, I'm not. We prepared, shall see. I'm not prepared to accept Sam's prognostication on that. I think it's going to be a bloodbath, but we'll see. Okay, so Adam and Adam Tamburin, Sam Stockard, both last two episodes have said they think it's going to pass but that it will be a different version, a little bit more palatable for maybe those rural Republicans. This is school vouchers, of course. So you're saying you think it won't pass. I'm saying uh, currently, as I sit here today, it's not going to pass, but there's a lot of arm twisting to be yeah, done yeah. for sure. And that the question calls is, politics. <laughs> the question is, did uh, out of all these rule changes, did they eliminate the rule where the speaker can hold the vote open until <laughs> the number, like, Former Speaker Cassidy did, which led to his demise, by the way. Oh, that was what it was? Led to. <laughs> led to. Okay, all right. Well, here's the deal. I want We're going to end the show today with a little story, a couple of minutes here, you and Adam uh, having a conversation about how that video took place, how it came to be, how it ended up in the open of our show, and, and sort of, so if you ever. Back you, then, he was just intern Adam. Intern Adam, that's right. Um, so I will say this real quickly. I did see, uh, I, I didn't mean to go to a Gloria Johnson <laughs> rally on Friday night, but I was at a, a show with my wife at Basement East on Friday evening, and Allison Russell, who is spectacular, she's amazing, spectacular artist, about a, almost 11 o'clock at night, lo and behold, Gloria Johnson walks through the crowd, gets up on stage, says a couple of words, you know, loves Allison Russell, gets down, and whatever you may think of Gloria Johnson, her policies, her issues, where you stand with her, or Marsha Blackburn, I can definitively say and report that Gloria Johnson has a better taste in music than her competitor. That I feel very confident with that and that alone. Is that worth voting for her? I don't know. But I, I will say, elite music taste if she's there watching Allison Russell, because that girl is a baller. I would say her taste in music should be transitioned to her strategy in campaigning <laughs> being in east nashville on a friday night it's not gonna win her a statewide election i think you do have most of the folks in the crowd already on on the board <laughs> i'm not gonna not gonna lie about that uh there's probably a barbecue somewhere in paris tennessee that will probably like help, if i was running marcia blackburn's campaign it's like well can we pay her to do that like <laughs> every, every friday day, every friday night all right uh also by the way and this is coming out on tuesday after the Iowa caucus is on Monday night, but we will have a full breakdown next week because I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. And I know this is already out after it took place. So I'm just, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm genuinely excited. 
You're weird. I, I realize that. I like cross tabs, Jamie. <laughs> I'm okay with being weird. I'm okay with that. Okay, for Jamie Holland, I'm Braden Gall. Please give us only what what reviews? What type of reviews? Only five stars. Don't be a hater. And if you're going to go get a cup of coffee, where should people go? Eighth and Roast. If you're going to go to the store and buy some coffee beans, what should you buy? Eighth and Roast. If Grind you, them at home. There you go. And if you want to come hang out with us at a gathering the first Tuesday of every single month on Charlotte Avenue location, where can they do that? Eighth and Roast on Charlotte. There you have it. So come by, hang out with us uh, at JR Holland on Twitter.com. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Here's the origin story. We'll leave you guys with this this week. The origin story of Jamie Holland yelling in a parking garage. Adam, before we let you go, for those that do not know, the intro in the show is obviously former council member and current attorney Jamie Holland. I was an attorney then, too. Having a field day. (laughs) And for those that do not know... You played a key and vital role in that piece of audio being in the open of our show. I- explain yourself, sir. Well, I recorded it. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to my royalty check any minute now. Uh, yeah, I was an intern at the Tennessean. What was that? Was that 2012 or 2011? 2011. 2011. Um, they sent me, I think, kind of as a hazing ritual um, <laughs> to cover a council meeting that lasted uh, a very long time. And I was there after TV had already packed up their cameras and left. And it was like, you know, 1030 or 11 or something. And toward the end, a certain council member's resolution got blocked on a technicality. And he stood up and began um, screaming and charged out of the council uh, hall. And I thought, hmm, you know what would have been great? I should have gotten video of that. Oh, no, because what a what a dramatic moment that was. And then as I was walking through the um, the uh, parking garage underneath the underneath the courthouse, somebody drove up and said, hey, did you want to see the two councilmen fighting? Are you looking for them? And I was like, yeah, totally. That's what I'm looking for. Not my car. And uh, I walked up on uh, um, then Councilman Holland here expressing himself passionately, shall we say. And I what reaction did you get from uh, being there? Well, Somebody who was it, um, Jamie, that that came up to me and and said, oh, "You don't need to be here right now." Michael Craddock. Michael Craddock. Yeah, I had my iPhone out. This no, is, it wasn't I, a damn iPhone. It was a handheld camera. Was no, it? it was the it was like an early iPhone. It was like probably this thick, and I and I was just like, "I uh, I can be here," um, <laughs> and I didn't know. <laughs> be honest with you i mean i was an intern i didn't know who these people were i was not really sure like the dynamics of what everybody was fighting about but i knew um knew something was going down and i uh knew i had to stay stay there and then i uh here we are that was the highlight of my journalistic career was it was recording that video well you're leaving out some parts which parts like how did you get access to that particular area beyond the ride how did you get down to the garage? Now I'm going to ask you the question. How? How did I do that? I don't remember. Did you walk through the long tunnel underneath the courthouse and underneath the parking garage? I think I just walked down there. I'm pretty sure somebody let you on the elevator. I don't think so. I did see you. Okay. When um, This is not going to be useful at all, I think, for recording it purposes. But I saw you in the back halls of the council chamber that I think are just for council members. I got sure. back there. Correct. And I didn't know enough to know that I shouldn't have been there. And, uh, it was a wild ride. You were very, you were very passionate, and I believe the the measure you were trying to push was um, 
Was it a resolution to honor Hume Fogg students who had protested the Don't Say Gay Bill back then? Hume Fogg and MLK, some of the best and brightest students in National Public High Schools at the right. time were protesting. Yeah. I think maybe Senator Stacy Campfield's Don't Say Gay Bill. And it was a memorializing resolution to honor them, but kind of the inside baseball there is I missed the committee meeting on purpose. And the reason I'm, I'll get to that in a second, but missed the meeting on purpose. So if, if there were two objections then it couldn't be heard, and the two people that objected was Phil Claiborne and Jim Gatto. So I got to talk to councilman Claiborne in the elevator on the way down. It was me, him, and I guess a, a somewhat interested third party, Mike Jamison was in there because I'm sitting here now, I was asking him what verse in the Bible it was that was okay to discriminate those people who were advocating for quality for the LGBT community. Uh, he did not answer, as you can imagine. Then I walked down a long hallway and came outside to the below the parking deck but was parking for council members only and got to see Jim Gatto. And then what I said to Jim Gatto is forever now on YouTube. And there were a few articles written about it the next day. And I did a long interview with, because my phone became a paperweight that next morning around 11 o'clock when that video finally got posted. So I decided to have a press conference to answer all the questions. And for the first time, Gail Kerr, RIP, who I never met, never spoke to, wrote an article about me. So that was my claim to Gail Kerr fame. Well, and if you think um, Jamie's voice sounds beautiful in your headphones now, you should hear it echoing through um, <laughs> the parking deck. It was really something to behold. It wasn't hard to find you. I'll just say that much because <laughs> I just well, followed the sounds of your, your voice. And to note for the record, you know, Jim Gatto had a handgun strapped on his ankle. At the time, that was all going what? down. Yeah, that, that's a little de that's a little detail I could have shared with you if I would have known you were coming. But I didn't know you were coming, and frankly, I didn't see you until the conclusion of it. But I'm pretty sure I also offered you a ride back to your car. I think you Dude. accepted, and I gave you a ride back to your car. We had well, it was because I I came up to you afterward. And said, Councilman, um, do you want to talk, talk about uh, that, that conflict that you had back there? And you said, get in. <laughs> I think it's how it went, some version of that. <laughs> and uh, I did my interview. I interviewed you uh, as you drove me back to my car. Yes. And Thanks for, for the ride, by the way. Yeah. And for what it's worth, Gatto never won another election since that episode. What's fascinating now, though, is as we all know, just assume that everyone has a handgun strapped to their ankle in the state of Tennessee. Just assume. Uh, all right. Well, in, enjoy the rest of the session, my man. Uh, we'll have more stuff to talk about later. Uh, we will, we'll have some budgetary stuff and some tax stuff, and I'm sure more will, will be to come uh, from the legislative session. But uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, for joining us, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. Y'all got Google? <laughs> GTS. All right. What is that? Google that shit. <laughs>
I just teach you something? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> like every now and then it happens. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, so I appreciate it. And that is no cap. <laughs> there you go. There you coming. You're going to want to know all this shit because your girls are going to be hearing this shit from boys. That's why they're going to be lesbians. 